Matthew chapter 13. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did, did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That, that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his authors and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, and disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. 
I think we should still be processing Jesus's parables from last week as we push on into Matthew now to get to get the most out of these next things that we now have just read. And particularly the tension, I guess, between between the here and now of of the kingdom of heaven and the things that are still not quite yet. Uh, and to try to put that tension uh, crisply, I suppose, in its parable form from last week, uh, seed was sown, if you recall. Uh, seed was sown in the here and now, that is, uh, on the path and on the rocky soil and, and in among the thorns and, and on the good soil. Uh, seed was sown on all four of those places uh, for the gospel seed. And, and some kind of response happened in at least three of them. And yet in the kingdom still to come in the other parables, only two states remained. It was either wheat or weeds, wasn't it? Or good fish or bad fish. What that tension means then uh, is that some responses to Jesus and his gospel will amount to no response to Jesus and his gospel in the end. And so ultimately, if we can sort of see past the, the moment at hand, people actually respond either one of two ways to the gospel of the kingdom. They either receive it or, or they reject it. Uh, we might find comfort, I suppose, in, in the grey area in between that, in the here and now, uh, you know, the basic indecisiveness uh, about uh, the gospel for the time being. But, you know, we might say, like, I'm still making up my mind on what Jesus says. But in a way, if you think about it, that, that's actually also a rejection of his gospel at this point in time. And that can change, of course, and, and no doubt that is part of the typical journey towards faith in Jesus. Our hearts on him and his gospel do change. But so too, nevertheless, we, we ought to beware while we're in that sort of weighing up Jesus kind of space because at the end of the day, his gospel of the kingdom of heaven will polarise everyone into one of only two final states. Well, what Jesus gave us in parables last week rolls out in the narrative now. Uh, the heralds of this kingdom, the ones proclaiming this kingdom of heaven, have, have catched, uh, are catching the attention of people as they go, but, but their gospel will polarise people into one of those two camps. Uh, at first glance, in chapter 14, if you've got your Bible there, at first glance, Herod the Tetrarch uh, seems like he might be in that you know, curious but sort of undecided kind of uh, grey area when it comes to Jesus. And we might think, well, maybe he just doesn't understand the gospel of the kingdom yet. Maybe he hasn't even actually heard the gospel of the kingdom yet. Let's look in at chapter 14 and see, see, see what we can see about Herod and, and where Herod stands in terms of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. He heard about the fame of Jesus. But did he go to see him? Everyone else, if you remember the now, everyone else has been flocking to see Jesus. Well, why doesn't Herod go? There's nothing of that written here, is there? Indeed, if you think about it, surely Herod, the Tetrarch, the ruler, that is, of all Galilee, could have had Jesus brought to him whenever he wanted. But nothing of that here. 
Uh, the dynasty of Herod's, uh, I might say, was pretty confusing because of all the murder and the intrigue that ran through that family. So it might be worth just clarifying this particular Herod we're talking about here before we go on. We'll call him Herod for convenience, as in the text here, but, but this is not the Herod from back in Matthew chapter 2, if you remember when we were there, uh, the one who killed all the infants around Bethlehem after Jesus was born. Uh, that was Herod the Great. Uh, this Herod here in chapter 14 is one of Herod the Great's sons. This is Herod Antipas we're looking at here, who ruled over the region of Galilee, as it says, after his father had passed away. And Galilee is Jesus' home region. It's where Nazareth is and where Jesus is at this point uh, as well, because our text at the end of chapter 13 there makes that quite clear. And so, yes, that, that's, why, that's why Herod has heard of Jesus' fame now, if, if he hadn't heard of it before, because Jesus is there in Galilee. And so, yes, too, that's why he could have summoned Jesus if he wanted to see him uh, or gone to see him if he really did want to meet him. Uh, if we were to fast forward uh, further into uh, the narrative, uh, go, jump ahead to Jesus' trial before he was crucified. Uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, the region to the south where Jerusalem is, uh, on learning that Jesus actually hailed from Galilee, Pontius Pilate sent him to Herod, this guy, the Tetrarch of Galilee. And we read of that encounter uh, in Luke 23. We read that when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Oh yeah, Herod wanted to meet Jesus. He had long desired that uh, by the end of Jesus' preaching ministry, Luke says, but he, but he never went out of his way to meet Jesus all those years. Isn't that interesting? Think back to last week, what kind of soil would you make that kind of response out to be? When he did meet him, Jesus had nothing to say. Luke goes on in his gospel, Herod questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. And probably because of what had transpired here in Matthew 14, if we come back to our text today. For Herod had seized John the Baptist and, and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Maybe another clarifier. Uh, that is not talking about Philip the Tetrarch of, of Luke chapter 3, if you've read of him before. He, he ruled over another region to the east of Galilee. Uh, this, no, this Philip is, is yet another half-brother of Herod's, uh, also called Philip, who had lived in Rome. Their father, Herod the Great, had had, had many wives, you see, so it's all a bit tangly. Uh, Herodias here had divorced uh, her husband Philip in Rome, because she had been seduced by this Herod, ruler of Galilee. And she eventually married him, is, is what John the Baptist means here. Incidentally, uh, Herodias was also this Herod's niece, uh, daughter of another half-brother, son of another of Herod the Great's wives. 
Uh, and incidentally too, the daughter mentioned uh, in a minute uh, who did this dance in verse 5 was, was called Salome, history tells us, and, and she became a wife of that other Philip, the Philip who was the Tetrarch from Luke chapter 3. Uh, did I mention that the, the Herod family was a little bit tangly? But let's go on. Because uh, we want to get an insight into, into this Herod right here and, and specifically into his response to Jesus and, and the gospel. And I think we actually roundabout get that from this scripture by way of his response to John. Uh, you see, after all, Jesus and John were both heralds of the same kingdom of heaven, uh, with John having come to pave the way on that message for, for Jesus to then preach it. So John had been proclaiming uh, the same gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that, that Jesus was now proclaiming at this time. We, we saw that way back in Matthew chapter 3 of John, repent. We saw it in Matthew chapter 4 then of Jesus, repent. These, these two heralds of the kingdom of heaven had a ministry of preaching, repentance. So, so even though Herod hasn't met Jesus yet, we can see how he'd respond to Jesus' message by the way he responds to John's. How did Herod take that basic gospel call of repentance? Well, he bound John and locked him in prison, verse 3, because he did not want to repent of his sin, verse 4 his unlawful and immoral marriage to his brother's wife and his own niece. And he wanted to do even more than that to this herald of the kingdom than just prison and chains, verse 5 goes on. And though he wanted to put him in, uh, to death, uh, he feared the people uh, because they held him to be a prophet. The gospel of the kingdom and, and the repentance that it calls for polarises people. It does, doesn't it? The people out in the streets, they think John was a prophet of God for proclaiming that message of repentance. Herod thinks he ought to be killed for it. But we see here actually in, in Herod's response that, do you know what? It, it's him who is bound and in jail. He is bound by his fear of the people, verse 5, so bound that he hadn't been able to kill John yet, even though he had wanted to. But he's even more enslaved to his sin, if we dig a bit deeper as, as the story rolls on. His pride and his sin. And his illegitimate wife can just play to his helplessness and force his hand in this. Because Herod is under the power of sin. And what we're about to read is very grim. So forgive me if I reiterate and elaborate just who John is before we go on. John the Baptist was a herald of the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, if you're reading these things in, in Mark or Luke. He, he came to reveal to us the Son of God, we read in the Gospel of John. He came to turn our hearts back to God. 
He was foretold through the prophet Malachi. He was the one of whom Isaiah the prophet had said that his ministry will be what? To make straight in the highway, a desert, a, a highway for our God. The angel Gabriel confirmed to his father, Zechariah, that John was indeed coming to go before the Lord God because he came to prepare us for him, for Jesus and for the kingdom of God. This is epic. His simple message associated with that, repent for the forgiveness of sins, is captured very clearly in the Gospels, as is his simple practice of a symbolic washing in water. Jesus said of John, uh, back in Matthew chapter 11, if you recall, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. These heralds were preaching a gospel to this world of something far, far beyond what we can see in this world. Meanwhile, John had said of Jesus in John chapter 1, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptise with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptises with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. I wonder if, if, if Herod had heard any of that, picked up anything of John the Baptist's ministry, or if he had only heard the personal call that John had given him to repent of his own sin. Anyway, he takes badly to John, and, and eventually his sin brings out even more sin back in Matthew 14 here. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it and they went and told Jesus. Again, John the Baptist was a herald of the kingdom of God. <laughs> These Herods had him killed. And all of it because of sin. And because of sin being called out. And, and that just because the kingdom of heaven calls for repentance. That gospel eventually polarizes people. 
It only leaves two places to stand with Jesus and here will it all fill out pretty quick. The kingdom of heaven has been declared in this world and it is holier than what you and I can understand. And so the call of the gospel is actually quite simple and and it's very, very clear. We must repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was John's message. That was Jesus' message too. If we will not repent, then how can we receive God's forgiveness? And yet without that forgiveness, how can we enter the kingdom of God? And yet if we will come to Jesus and repent, then, then forgiveness unto this kingdom is ours. You cannot polarise things any more than that. And so those two responses to the, to the gospel of the kingdom and, and the repentance it demands is, is why we see two responses to, to the heralds of this kingdom in this gospel account. We see it right here towards John in that paragraph there. Some of them are holding him to be a prophet of God for calling people to repentance, says verse 5. A prophet of God. As some want to kill him for calling them to repentance. I don't know what these dinner guests must have thought about, about the response on display, but, but eventually they too and everyone will be polarised one way or the other in the end. We see the same thing, though, if we zoom out from that and look at the, the brackets around that episode in our scripture reading today and, and this second herald of the kingdom, Jesus. Back in chapter 13... Jesus had been rejected too in in chapter 13 and verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? (laughs) Is not his mother called Mary? And, And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and And are not all his sisters with us? Like, where then did this man get all these things? They can see his great wisdom, verse 54. Do you you see that? That they can see his great wisdom and they know he's been doing these great miracles too. But even so, they just somehow can't see past this life kind of things, this world and, and its framework of things, can they? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't that an interesting thing to say? If he is full of great wisdom and mighty works, as as even they say, then he's obviously more than a carpenter. But their brains can only default back to that kind of thinking. Isn't this just like Jesus? Like one of those kids from Mary's house? And they took offence at him. Isn't that interesting? They took offence at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus' hometown crowd here is unpacked in, in more detail. Luke tells us what Jesus said in that synagogue 
And he tells us even more of their response. I'd like to read a bit to you. It's in Luke chapter 4 if you want to track it down later. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they marvelled at him. At first, if you keep reading there in Luke chapter 4, they marvelled at him, but by the end of that paragraph, they had run him out of town to drive him off a cliff. They were filled with wrath at Jesus, it does say. Because why? Because the gospel polarises everyone eventually. And sometimes it happens pretty quick. And yet, at the other end of our scripture today, we get a glimpse of that other side. Again, in Matthew 14 and verse 13, the other kind of response. Now, when Jesus heard about John the Baptist being killed by Herod, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Herod never made the time to go looking for Jesus. But others do, at the drop of a hat. They heard he was, he was way out where, in the middle of nowhere, in this desolate place, and they went there on foot. 5,000 of them, it says, just counting the men, but women, children too. We might expect that some of them, some of them in that great, great crowd, must still be in that, you know, still processing Jesus kind of stage. But they at least haven't been hardened against him just yet. They're in one of those three paddocks, I suppose, with soil, we'd presume, from last week's parable, rather than being on the path. And where Jesus didn't do many miracles back in Nazareth in chapter 13 to people who couldn't see past the things of this world and, and believe, Jesus sees these people coming in chapter 14 in the middle of nowhere and, and, and he has compassion on them, it says, verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then he went ahead and fed them all too. Jesus might have been known for his mighty works back in Nazareth, but he is seen for his mighty works here. 
all of which suggest that there is something different going on at this point in time with these people here. And we might, we might think that, that surely they would know of Jesus' basic ministry, the, the gospel of the kingdom and, and the repentance that it needs, we would have to presume. But they're drawn to him. They're drawn to him rather than taking offence. If the gospel of the kingdom is polarising people one way or the other, I reckon an inability, a failure to, to, to be able to see beyond this earthly life seems to be a key factor in all of that, if you read through that narrative. It seems to be the problem in, in both of these rejections here to both of these heralds of the kingdom. Herod rejecting John the Baptist, uh, the people in Nazareth rejecting Jesus. In both cases, the herald was rejected because people are just bogged down at the level of this life. And if the basic message of those heralds Let's not forget the kingdom of heaven. We're talking epic here. If that is not on our radar, then nor will we have a positive response to the call of repentance that it brings with it. But those who are drawn to these heralds are indeed learning about the kingdom of God. And for them, uh, there is hope. The people who, who Herod were afraid of, who took John to be a prophet of God for preaching this, yeah. The people following Jesus into the wilderness here, yeah. They haven't rejected the message, at least yet. They're leaning in, they're drawing in and learning more. It all, it all kind of, if we try to boil it down, dig underneath all this and try to figure out what's going on, it really asks the question, why? Like, like, why can't some people see beyond the level of this life to the glory of, of the kingdom that these heralds are proclaiming? Why won't some people repent of their sin to receive that kingdom? In Luke's account of Jesus' preaching in the synagogue in Nazareth, he said from that scripture that, that he had been sent to open the eyes of the blind and to set the captives free. So why are some people still blind to the kingdom of heaven? Why are some still captive to their sin? The only seeming answer is, is that Jesus hasn't opened some eyes. Jesus hasn't set some sinners free. Surely he could have, though, right? And if so, then presumably he chose not to. One of the very difficult truths of Scripture is, is that not all people will be saved by Jesus. Some, indeed, will, will be hardened further against him. Which kind of brings a great urgency to bear, uh, don't you think, on, on that grey area that, that we can kind of perceive at, at the moment. You know, I guess it's the rocky soil or the, or, or the thorny kind of ground from last week's parable, I suppose, where, where there's some temporary interest, some partial interest at least, in, in the kingdom of heaven and, and figuring all this out. We may have still been at play in the crowds responding positively here to, to John and to Jesus, 
certainly it's still in play for some people today. That, you know, those who've just started to catch a sense of, of who Jesus is and, and what he's about, but, but may not have committed one way or the other just yet. There's great urgency to that grey zone of decision because we see it too all through Scripture that, that at the end of the day there will only be one of two places to land on this. So if Jesus doesn't open your eyes to the kingdom of God and, and set you free from your sin, then what's the alternative? You will be hardened against him like Herod or the Nazarenes. And if he opens your eyes, though, and if he sets you free, then, then it will be into repentance for the kingdom of God. If you have some other interest in Jesus, some lesser interest that would therefore have to be, then catch the warning here in the negative responses covered here in this text. If you don't ever come into the heart of the Christian gospel to be able to repent of your sin and say, Jesus died for me, then you will otherwise only end up saying, Jesus is dead to me. Because what might feel like comfortable grey zone in the, in the here and now will one day turn out either to be black or white. There are only two responses to Jesus in the end. Of course, how is the gospel? <laughs> how beautiful. If Jesus has sent his spirit to you to, to, to crack your hard heart and bring you into repentance, then you can rejoice knowing that he has done that for why? <laughs> for the kingdom of heaven. So your grey, you can go ahead and take now and swap it out for white. This is our gospel. Let the call of the kingdom, therefore, draw you in now with, with more clarity and conviction to follow Jesus in the way of this king. Surrender your life and, and in all of your life, live now for him. I think the narrative of Matthew here is, is trying to lead us into that clarifying kind of process, as, as if it's trying to help get rid of that grey zone in our minds. And despite the extreme examples here of some rejecting the kingdom of heaven, point blank, Jesus and John were constant, relentless in their message, pushing and probing people all the time. So why? So they would be clear on where they will be in the end. So they will be clear now in how they respond. The apostles too, mind you, in the letters that follow in the New Testament, were equally constant on this message. All of these scriptures are to this end, to bring conviction to us and, and clarity to us. And if we've sat here and caught hold of Jesus and his beautiful gospel then we too should be thinking of our role now as heralds of this kingdom. We too are, are, are surrounded by people who are still neither here nor there on Jesus and all this gospel. There's extreme examples in our day too, of course there is, of those who've already rejected the kingdom, that's it. But, but we should make very clear our message and we should not give up pushing and probing those who still need to find their way. It's a, it's, a, it's a desperate time to be heralds of the kingdom. Such a widespread spiritual 
uncertainty. Spiritual famine really is, is what is all around us every which way. Surely we can give people something to eat, as Jesus says there in verse 16. The gospel rolls on. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us uh, and for revealing to us the kingdom of heaven and for inviting us to the kingdom of heaven and all but for just that we would repent of the sin that would stand in our way and receive of your forgiveness. Thank you for providing the way that that forgiveness can be altogether righteous for our sake by Jesus dying in our place. Father, keep us clear in our faith now as we continue in this gospel under your name. Uh, and we pray too that you bring conviction to bear on those who have not yet come into repentance and faith. And that as a church here today, you would help us to be clear, therefore, too, in our gospel of your kingdom, that, that you call all people everywhere to repent and with only two alternative ends. In Jesus' name, embolden us, therefore, we do pray. Amen.